You're listening to the official South Bay Church podcast. For more about us, please visit southbaychurch.us. So today is our special missions uh, Sunday. We'll be talking about that a little bit. Um, if you're visiting with us, um, that's not why we invited you today, but uh, you get to be a part of kind of hearing what, what we're a part of in our, in our church, and we'd love you to come along uh, with us. But uh, we're also um, in the middle of a series on uh, friendships, uh, faithful friendships. Today, the, uh, the lesson is called The Character of an Encourager. Raise your hand if you would like to be an encourager. Hopefully everybody would like to be known as an encourager. I know I would like to be. Uh, we all want our soul to be encouraged as we just sang about. Um, there's nothing like receiving some great encouragement from someone when you're just kind of down or feeling like you can't do it, feeling discouraged, and somebody just puts courage into you or the Lord puts courage into you. We all have those moments where we want to be encouraged. Hopefully you also want to be an encourager. So we're not only celebrating our special missions uh, today, but we're talking about how we can be a better encourager. What kind of character down deep does an encourager have? Uh, so Faithful Friendships, as I mentioned, uh, is the, the, the series that we've been doing. If you want to get caught up, uh, we have an app called the South Bay Church app, and the sermons are on there. Uh, we have a podcast. We have a YouTube channel. And uh, so you can kind of get caught up with the lessons so far. Uh, we have been going through the book of 1 John. We got through 1 John 1, 1 John 2. We're kind of going to finish 1 John 2 today and get into 1 John 3. Um, if you need a Bible, we have a few back there. If, uh, that's our gift to you. If you are a uh, visitor uh, and you don't have a, your own Bible, you can grab one from the table back there. But uh, we've been looking through 1 John as well. He's using this book from Larry Crabb. It's funny, my father's name is Larry Craig, so every time I say Larry Crabb, I think of my dad. So, hey, that's good. Um, so, uh, but he wrote this book called Encouragement, and uh, Larry Crabb is a, uh, a sociologist and a, uh, a therapist and uh, uh, written a lot of books on sort of mental health and that kind of thing and from a Christian perspective. This is a great book. It's not very new. It's been around a while, and what's good about that is you can get a lot of used uh, uh, good deal. So if you would like this book, you, uh, look on Amazon, you could get it for four bucks or something. Uh, I got it on Kindle. I love everything on my Kindle, but however you like to read, if you want to read this book, we're, we're, some of these principles we're getting are from that book, Encouragement. And he has this model, uh, what he calls uh, the surface community model. And what happens is in the, in the book of Genesis, it starts out with God creating the heavens and the earth. God created the whole universe, and that's a, a really fun topic to explore all the evidence for God and how he created things and created everything that's around us, uh, that the universe had a beginning, and it, it started at, in one place at one time, and all of creation, but it was all set up so that we could be here, so that humans could be here. There's something known as the anthropic principle, which is when you look at our universe, it looks as if everything has been designed for human beings to be able to exist and for there to be able to be minds, and, and, and scientists kind of go, wow, that's weird. It's so weird. We're going to call it the anthropic principle. It just seems like it was designed. But as believers, we go, yes, that's right. It was designed by God for us to be here. So humans arrive on the scene, but what happens with humans is that we don't go along the path God, God puts it out for us, but we choose our own way. And because we choose our own way, God gives us free will. We end up uh, fractured. We end up with relationships that have walls. In, in the, the very first story of Adam and Eve, uh, Adam says, I was afraid, and so I hid. 
And so that's what we do, Larry Crabb says, is we have fear in our core, and so we have put these walls around ourselves. And so when we interact with people, often it is surface-to-surface interaction. We don't really get beyond that wall, and, and, and especially, you know, in the world. And we'll talk about a little bit of a contrast today between the world and the kingdom of God. But we're, what we're about in the church is trying to break down those walls. Jesus came, it says in Ephesians 2, to, de- to destroy the dividing wall of hostility between people. And so we, we believe that through Jesus and through his blood, we can, we can walk in the light and have fellowship with one another, 1 John 1 says. And there's not that, those walls up anymore. And so we can have true intimacy, a restoration of intimacy with others only because of Jesus and only because of his sacrifice. So we talked about that. Then we, we talked about how a true openness uh, and, and connection with each other, it's not just about total transparency, because remember, I, 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 was, I gave an example of being totally transparent with Brian Hood and saying, you know, I can't stand the look of your face, Brian, you know. That might be true, but that doesn't help our relationship, right? So we need to have transparency, but within a framework of commitment. And so that's what we talked about last time, a framework of commitment, that we're committed to each other and we're committed to God first, and that makes our relationships work. And the, the framework of commitment should be a community of love. And Jesus said that that community of love, those relationships between his followers would be what would let the world know who he was. That's how people would know Jesus and his character and his mission was through the connections we have, through the fellowship that we have with one another. That, that our love for each other is what would let people know. Not the sermons we preach, not the books we write, not the videos we put together, nothing. It's the relationships that we have with one another. So we talked about that being a part of this group when we're all together. And then also throughout the week, you know, we're a church, if you're, if you're new to the group, that we don't believe in just Sunday relationships, but we want to be involved in each other's lives throughout the week. Uh, you know, Mark and Dave, Dave Blanco and, and Mark Steberg talk every couple days, right? They have what they call a church of two. Jesus says, wherever two or more are gathered, there I am. And so they talk every couple days to keep those connections going. And a lot of us have those daily relationships. We have small groups that meet during the week. And what we're praying is that those small groups, although they are diverse, you know, we have singles, we have marrieds, we have teens, young, we have old, you know, but, but even though we're, we're different, that through our connections, uh, people would see our love. You know, for our small group, we met at the park this last week. It was great. Uh, had a little volleyball going with kids and grown-ups. And then we, were, we had potluck food. That, they always do a great job with uh, the food. Um, and, uh, you know, that helps. Jesus used food, right, uh, in his ministry. And uh, so a woman who was there at the park joined us for the Bible discussion and involved the kids. It was, it was great. It was awesome. It was like, okay, this is awesome. And we're just going to keep building our relationships from there. But that, that is the framework of commitment that we talked about last week. Uh, Francis Chan, who's a, a guy I respect, a, a, a speaker and a, a teacher, he built a church here in Southern California, starting in his own home, built it to 5,000 people. But he said, you know, Along that journey, he said, what am I doing? Because our, our church is becoming less and less like the church of the Bible. And so he left this church of 5,000 people and moved to San Francisco where ministry is really hard because he wanted to make disciples and, and, and just have small groups and, and, and small communities because that's where you see the love of Jesus. In this huge church of 5,000 people, he said it's super expensive to run, only a few people are involved in putting everything together. Most people aren't using their gifts. And we're not really making disciples. 
You know, I really respect that. You know, here in the eyes of, of ministry people, you know, of, of, of professional, uh, you know, evangelists and stuff, what he did, building a church from zero to, you know, or from 50 to, to 5,000, that's what everybody wants to do. And yet he leaves it all and says, that's not what Jesus wants me to do. I appreciate that. And, and what that tells me is what we're trying to do, making disciples one by one, soul by soul, in each other's lives, in each other's homes, that's really what is in the Bible. And I, I love that he's kind of made that same conclusion. Uh, and he told a story. He said that in his big church, 5,000, back when he was there, there was a guy that he had baptized that um, was a former gang member and, you know, came from a rough life. He got baptized. Francis Chan followed up with him years later, found out he'd left the church, and he said, what happened? Why did you leave the church? And he said, well, you know, I'd been in a gang, and I kind of thought being baptized was like being bounced into a gang. He said, I thought it was like we're, 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 we're coming into this tight-connected family. You know, that's what I felt in a gang. People don't join gangs just for no reason. It's because they feel something that they're missing, right? right. Connection, family. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give my very life for you. A lot of times they're in a desperate situation, and that's, that's the only family they have or the only con real connections they have. And he said, I thought the church was going to be like that. But it was just this big mega church. I didn't really know people, and so I just kind of drifted. And so that, Francis Chan said, I, I felt sick because I, I, that's, that's not the church of the Bible. The church of the Bible is, it, it, it's like a gang in a way, you know, in that it's, we're, we, we've got each other's back. We'll die for each other's faith. And, and, and our objectives are a little different uh, than a gang, amen? But it's the same, it should be the same level of commitment, right? Gang commitment shouldn't put discipleship commitment to shame. So we're going to talk about uh, two ways that a in the character of encouragers, we reflect different values than the world. Uh, we're going to talk about two ways, that, two choices that we make. So we're going to look in, in uh, where we left off last week in 1 John. Uh, bow with me. Let's pray. God, thank you to be able to open your scriptures. Uh, thank you that uh, each of us has access to your holy word uh, that was given to us. I pray that you would speak to everyone here right now, God. I pray just to receive a blessing from you. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be at work in this fellowship gathered here in your name, God, for you. And, and, and uh, in the spirit of, of disciples gathering all around the world as we contribute our special missions, God, we ask for you to be present. We ask for you to, you, we know you're always present, but we ask that we would recognize your presence and that you would speak into every heart through your word. I pray that uh, you'd remove our distractions. God, I know we have kids with us, which is so awesome. Thank you for how quiet they're being. What a great job they're doing right now. And uh, I pray that they would get something out of this time as well as we come forward as families to contribute uh, to your work in the world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. So 1 John chapter 2, give me an amen when you're there. A few people are there. So the first thing uh, we're going to see as far as the, the choice that we have to make uh, in having the character of an, of an encourager is worldly relationships or worldly values, the values of the world, or a community of love like we were just talking about. And in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, the Apostle John writes this, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. So 
John is saying there's a choice here between the values of the world and the values of the community of love that we're a part of. There's a choice. It's very different. The way that you approach life, the way that you approach relationships is very different. Consider what these things do to, to relationships. You know, if you think about your own life, think about the lives of, of, of your friends or your family or your coworkers or your you know, fellow students. I mean, don't, don't these three things really describe the world? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. Uh, the old translations used to say that the boasting of what one has and does. This describes the world so perfectly. And yet, what does the lust of the flesh do? It, 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 it reduces people to objects. It objectifies people. It makes relationships just animalistic. It's, it, there's, not, there's not a depth of, of relationship with lust of the flesh. I want something from you. Lust of the eyes... It's, it, you know, it, it becomes about objects, like uh, maybe, maybe not you as an object, but your stuff. And so it, it cheapens human uh, experience. It cheapens human relationship. It becomes, I want something you have, or a relationship with you is a means to an end. I, I want a relationship with you so I can get this or so I can get that. The pride of life, or the, as the other translation says, the boasting of what I have and do. Surface relationships, right? Boasting of who I am and what I do and, and, and just putting out there this false image. I think of social media and how people put, and there's nothing wrong with, you know, posting your vacation, but it's not real. It's, it's you know, it's this surface. Uh, it's, it's, you're not getting to the real person. Uh, what we used to call in high school posers. You know what I mean? That guy's a poser. What does that mean? He's, he's not real. He's not legit. He's not a real skater. He's a poser. He's not a real punker. He's a poser, you know? But that, that's, that's kind of how our relationships are. And what, 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 what's the result of these things in relationships? Bitterness, anger, fractures, being alone, no real intimacy, not really being known. Everyone, as we talked about last week, everyone really wants to be known and to know others both in their external world and their internal world. Everybody really wants that, and yet Satan has figured out how to keep us from that with one another uh, through these things. And, um, you know, when I, when I think about these values in, in the Scripture, I can't help but think about some of the music that my son listens to. Uh, my oldest son loves hip-hop. You know, and we, we listen to music and... and uh, you know, that's one of our connections. We connect with basketball. We connect with music. And he'll show me, like, Drake's new album or he'll show me Meek Mill's new song or whatever it is. You know, we, we get the clean version, but you get the idea of a lot of stuff that they're saying. And it's usually these things, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the boasting of what one has and does. That pretty much defines, you know, hip-hop and, uh, you know, what the lyrics are. It's like you could just get that list and write a song from that list. Um, and, uh, you know, I, it's, a, it's a good point of discussion for us. And, and we were listening to this, uh, in contrast, we were listening to a song by Lecrae, who's a Christian hip-hop artist. And it was so funny, it almost seemed odd, because he was in the song singing about how he was nothing, and how he had nothing, and anything he accomplished meant nothing, and all he needed was God in his life. It was just so weird, like, such a contrast to all this other music. And it just reminded me of how the values are in such contrast. They're so different. 
Um, I was reminded of this a couple weeks ago as well when um, Joe Caleb came to visit, who's from England. He's our brother from the church in England. He's a professional uh, musician, does it full time. He played guitar for us at our South Bay service. He's an amazing jazz guitarist. You couldn't really tell from him playing, you know, our songs, but he's amazing. And, um, but he's, not only is he a jazz guitarist, but he's also a producer, a, a pop producer. And he has a, had a song that was number three on the charts in, in England. And uh, so he, he interacts with these different people. So he was here doing pop stuff. Uh, he's working with a, a, a girl named Amindi. Some of you might know who that is. I don't know who that is. But, he, but he, I picked him up Sunday morning uh, for church early. He was up in um, Miracle Mile. So, but it, it, I said, he said, oh, no, you don't have to do that. I said, it's actually kind of fun. It's kind of fun to drive downtown on a Sunday morning. It's like, I got here in 15 minutes, you know. Uh, there's no other time in the entire week that you can do that. Uh, so it's like, it was really cool. Just breeze right up, and I'm, I'm in downtown L.A., and it's, it's kind of actually fun. And uh, so I picked him up, and, but he was telling me about what he'd been doing the night before. He'd had a session. I was like, what is this like, this writing session? He was like, it was weird, because I went to this huge mansion. He said, I've never seen a mansion like this in Beverly Hills. And it's all these, you know, arts people and, and working out. And he was there because he's probably most likely going to be doing a song. One of his, he puts these beats together. She's mostly likely going to be doing a song. With, he goes, I don't think you're going to know who this is, but you your kids might. He's like, his name's Big Sean. I'm like, oh, I know who Big Sean is. You know, I felt so proud just because because my kids. Yeah. So, uh, well, that's what I was going to say. So, so, so I was like, oh, tell me about Big Sean. He was like, ah, whatever. You know, you know, he was so kind of dismissive of that whole world, you know, and that culture. I'm, like, oh, tell me about it. He, but it's cool because he's not at all starstruck at all. You know, Joe Caleb is like, but you know what he did go on and on and on and on about? Was our big Sean over there. Uh, because he stayed with Sean. And he was like, this guy treated me like royalty. You know, he gave me this little basket with toiletries and, you know, refreshments. And we were hanging out all the time. He's like, and I was like, yeah, I mean, I've, I've had that before. I go somewhere and, you know, the disciples have, have you know, stay there and whatever. He's like, yeah, but, but you're going there to, to do something for the church. I was just here on a work trip. And I just, you know, on Facebook said, hey, I'm traveling. Is anybody, you know, and Sean said, sure, you can stay with me. Didn't he, never met him before, just knew he was a disciple from our church in England. And uh, so I like our big Sean. Uh, amen. But, uh, but you do see a contrast in values, a big contrast. And continuing on in First John 2, we don't have time to, to really dig into this, but he talks about the Antichrist. Verse 18, Dear children, this is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. And he goes on and talks about it. And, you know, I did a little study on this. And I've studied it before, the Antichrist. This is something that's huge and popular in kind of that sort of that religious world of, you know, the rapture and the end of days and all that kind of, you know, the Antichrist is this big thing. That that's actually not something in Scripture. Uh, it's not in the book of Revelation. It's just here and in one, a couple other places. And, and there, the, what, what, it, what is in Scripture is it's anyone who denies Jesus is the Christ. Look at uh, verse 22. It's anyone who denies Jesus. Such, any such person is the deceiver in the Antichrist. Uh, uh, 2 John 1, 7 says the same thing. So what he's talking about is this contrast, this contrast between the world and the community of love. So I'm not saying that, you know, Big Sean is the Antichrist or that, 
you know, these rappers are the Antichrist or, or anybody. But, but, but anybody that's going against the community of love is the Antichrist. You know, so I'm not, I'm not saying you should call your coworker the Antichrist or anything like that. <laughs> but what that says to me is that, you know, there, there is a battle. There is a choice to be made, right? There's a choice to be made Christ's way or the world's way, the Antichrist way, the Antichrist uh, value system. Do you get it? That's what he's after. It's not this mystical figure. It's that there's this choice of how you view everything, how you view your stuff, how you view your time, how you view yourself, how you view your relationships. Is it the Christ way or is it the Antichrist way? And, and for the teenagers especially, I mean, this is right in the world where you guys live. Is like, which way am I going to view the world? And I remember being a teenager, being in high school, and I grew up in church. I grew up a part of this church. You guys have met my parents. And, and I remember I was like, oh, I want to follow Jesus, but I also want to be cool. <laughs> you know? I want to follow Christ. I love the church, but I also want to be accepted. I don't want people to make fun of me. I want to go to parties. I want to, be, I want to fit in. I don't want to be weird. You know what I I don't want people to think that I'm, uh, you know, I'm this or that. I, I, I want to just be normal, you know? And that you have just so much tension. And it's so hard because sometimes you just have to choose. And I'm not saying you should go around your high school and be like, oh, bless the Lord, you know. <laughs> this is the day that the Lord has made. Do you know Jesus? You know? <laughs> you shouldn't be like Ned Flanders, right? I'm not saying that. But, but, but there are times you got to choose. You just have to choose. You can't ride the fence. Am I going to do it God's way? Or am I going to do it the Antichrist way? Christ's way or the Antichrist way? And, uh, you know, he continues. Uh, let, let's keep reading. Uh, da- skip down to verse, uh, verse 28. I have something else on the Antichrist thing, but I'll send it to you. I'll, I'll email it to you. Uh, it's kind of interesting. From Polycarp. Uh, okay, it says, Now, dear children, continue in him, verse 28, so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his, at his coming. What an amazing thought. You know, Jesus returning, and we're not scared to death. We are confident. We are unashamed. What is, what is uh, John talking about? Well, one of the themes in 1 John is that fear, perfect love drives out fear. That the world, the Antichrist way, the world's way is motivated by this fear of death and this fear of exposure. And this fear motivates so much. And yet Jesus is constantly saying, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Right? And we feel those fears creep back in as disciples. And yet as, as, we, as we embrace God's perfect love, as we embrace perfect love with one another in this community of love, the prayer is that fear is constantly being driven out. Constantly being driven out. And we can have this confidence. In in chapter 3, verse 1, he says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Again, he's contrasting the world and the community of love and saying, We get to be children of God. What an amazing thing. So for teenagers or for anybody else, when you're feeling that pressure to fit in, when you're feeling that uh, you know, that, oh, man, I don't want to be weird, or I just want to be like everybody else at the office. You know, th- this is something you can take pride in. No, I'm a child of God. You know, I, I, I'm not, yeah, I'm weird, but I'm weird in a good way. 
You know, I'm weird in that I'm chosen, I'm special. I'm, you know, not that you can't be chosen or special too, it's, but, but man, this is amazing what I get to be a part of. What a blessing in our values. That gets reflected in our values. And, and he says in verse 2, We are now children of God. What we will be has not yet been fully known, but we know when Christ appears, we will be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. So there's this passing on of hope that you, I have this hope, and I pass it on to you. Now you have this hope, and now you have this hope, and we're purifying ourselves. We got to see Casey uh, Purvis baptized yesterday at the beach, and he's, he's a part of our fellowship now. And he can't be here on Sunday mornings because of a long story, but he's going to be here soon on Sundays. And, uh, but it's awesome to see him and his, and his wife, Michelle, there at the beach and purifying. He was purified by the, in the waters of baptism. And, and we keep passing that on to others and more and more and more. Uh, and, and, and that, so that's the way the kingdom grows is because we, we, okay, I get this new way of looking at things. It's not the world's values. It's the community of love. And so I'm going to respond to that and respond in faith. And uh, I know we're, we're contributing to, to our, our work in Mexico and Central America and the Middle East today. So I wanted to show you a video of this in action, of, of, of one person who finds the truth and then passing that on from our church in Mexico. Uh, actually, two stories from the, the church in Mexico, and then we'll continue on with the lesson. Zach Fazio reporting for ICOC Hot News, and today I'm in Mexico. This year, over 7,000 people attended the 31st anniversary of the Mexico City Church. There were countless amazing stories of faith all around me, but today I just want to share the stories of two families that I got a chance to meet. This is Renee. Estoy muy agradecido porque Dios ha bendecido tanto a mi familia. Todo inició en 1993. Ese año fue mi tía quien se convirtió en discípula. Ella invitó a mi abuela y a mi madre. Después mi padre se convirtió en discípulo. Después mi tía, después otra tía, después mi abuela, mi tía, otra tía, yo, mi hermano, mi hermana, mi esposa, mi tía, su esposo, después mi cuñada, mi tío, después su esposa, su hija, mi otra prima y mi primo. Estoy feliz de decir que todos somos discípulos y servimos en la iglesia. Puedo pensar en la escritura de Jeremías 29.11 que dice Dios tiene planes para nuestro bienestar. Hoy tengo una gran familia dentro de la iglesia y actualmente soy ministro en la Ciudad de México. It was incredible to meet Renee and his family. Now before I left the country, I also interviewed Jorge a student in the School of Missions in Mexico City. He was also the drummer from the worship team at the anniversary service. Growing up in an extremely poor, single-parent household, Jorge shared with us how he and his mother came to be part of God's family, and more. Cuando tenía siete años, mis padres se divorciaron. Pronto, a mi madre le invitaron a la iglesia, estudió la Biblia y se bautizó. Recuerdo que un día, estando en el ministerio de niños, le dije que conociera a mi maestro, que era un buen tipo. Ellos salieron y se casaron un tiempo después. Hace 12 años me convertí en discípulo cuando estaba en el Ministerio de Jóvenes. Recuerdo que hace unos años conocí a un hombre que invité a la iglesia llamado Miguel, que es, ahora él es un discípulo. Miguel, like Jorge's mother, was also a single parent. Jorge has a big heart for Miguel's family and dreams for the day that Miguel can help his daughter 
become a disciple, just like his mother helped him become a disciple. Cuando vea a su hija, sueño con el día en que ella también pueda convertirse en una discípula. Oh, and Miguel? He's now engaged to a sister in the church. It was amazing to hear about God's impact on the lives of these two disciples and their families. I hope these stories encourage you and inspire your faith. Amen. I love how that, uh, that video really illustrates the difference between the, the community of love and the world. Uh, the second thing we're going to talk about that's a choice that we have is, is sin, sinful actions or sacrifice in relationships. Sin or sacrifice. In verse 4 of chapter 2 here, 1 John says, Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins. And in him, Jesus, there is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Dear children, do not lead, let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin, because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning, because they've been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother or sister. Boy, one of the things I like about John, he just lays it out, doesn't he? He's pretty cut and dried about this is how we know <laughs> who the children of God are and the children of the devil are. Again, don't call your coworker the child of the devil. Um, you know, in our culture. But, but, uh, but, the, but, but we see what, what, what John is talking about. He's not saying you never sin again. You know, once you get baptized, you never commit another sin. He says that in 1 John 1. If you claim to be without sin, you're a liar. You know, and, and, but he says you don't continue to sin. You don't conti your life doesn't remain unchanged. If you get this new view of the world, metanoia, a new way of looking at things, you don't just continue in your sin. You, it, you radically change your life. And so rather than heading towards sin, you head towards sacrifice. You head in the Jesus direction. Who, he gave his life away. We have, again, this choice. Sin is the quick route to what we want, right? The quick route to what we think we need. Uh, the quick route to what we think will satisfy us. But does it satisfy? It doesn't. It never really feels... It might feel good for the moment, but it doesn't really fill us up in the long run. Whereas Jesus says, I give them living water. I'll, I'll give you constant fulfillment, constant sustenance. And then in the end, we're in heaven with him forever. Uh, again, it, it, it comes from fear. It comes from, I'm afraid of missing out. Or I'm afraid that God's not going to meet my needs. Or I'm afraid that I'm not going to, you know, I can't make it if I don't, I, I just have to give in to whatever it is. And yet John tells us in chapter 4, perfect love drives out fear. In verse 16, uh, John says, This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Our relationships should be ones where we are laying down ourselves. Now, we talked about this last week. It doesn't mean Jesus laid down his life, but he said, No one takes it from me. Jesus lived a life of sacrifice, but he wasn't a doormat either. 
He, no one, he, he, he entrusted himself to God, it says, not to men, because he knew what was in a man. So he trusted himself to God. So it doesn't mean that you just, everybody takes advantage of you, or um, you, you don't have a healthy sense of your, your own autonomy, but it means that you make the choice to give away for others. You make the choice to sacrifice. Because we do have those fears. What if, what if I can't do it? Or what if no one meets my needs? Or who's going to encourage me? Or what if the going gets hard? See, the thing is, is it takes a lot of character to be an encourager. It takes a strong character. You got to be willing to suffer at times if you're going to be an encourager. If you're going to be like Jesus, who he says, gives us the example of love. Uh, I want to read you this, this uh, quote from the book, Larry Crabb's book, Encouragement. It says, Godly character requires knowing God firsthand. The route to knowing God eventually passes directly through the valley of profound loneliness. It is in times where there is no one but God we learn to know him most fully. Those times, those moments of utter aloneness come only from emptying our lives into the lives of others. When we depend on no one to minister to us, when we thankfully accept the little encouragement coming our way from others, then the soul will feel its deepest longing to abandon itself to someone perfectly reliable and strong. We will feel profound loneliness if in that moment we steadfastly refuse to compromise our commitment to minister. If we dependently abandon ourselves to no one, then the loneliness will intensify. At those moments when the loneliness is greatest, we must turn in desperate dependency to God. We must entrust ourselves so completely to Him that our psychological doom is assured if He fails to respond. Then we will come to know more of Him. Then godly character will grow. His glory bursts through most brightly when the night is darkest. His strength is proven most sufficient when we are weakest. His love penetrates most deeply when we feel unloved. That's a powerful reading from, from the author. And I don't really like it. Do you know what I mean? I don't want to be in that dark place of loneliness where I have to be so desperate for God. I just want it to be like easy. Right? I, I, want, I want people to meet my needs. I want... I want, to, I want to be able to, to, to find sustenance in, in things I can see or people I can see. But, you know, that's the root of idolatry. It's going, I want, to, I want to trust in this thing that I can see, rather God who I can't see. And we're all going to be in that point of, of, of which way will we choose? Will we choose sin, which is the short route, it's, it's the idolatrous route, it's the route I can see, or will it be sacrifice and trust in God? Sacrifice requires trust in God. It's, it's putting it out there, putting your gift on the altar and, and trusting in God's providence, trusting in his love for you, trusting that he will come through. He will supply what you need, trusting that he will supply what you need. And so many of the Psalms reflect this character. Like Psalm 142 says, when my spirit grows faint within you, it is you who watch over my way. No one is concerned for me, Lord. I cry to you. I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Listen to my cry for I'm in desperate need. Set me free from my prison because of your goodness.